Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Now it's Gabe time. Gabe Kuhn. Gabe Kuhn was one of the great little trivial nuggets in all football bios. His grandfather was the inventor of the easy bake oven. Like a boss, the best lineman on the radio. Well, the only lineman on the radio. It's game time. Game time. We're ready. The Gabe Coon Show, 92.9 FM, ESPN. Happy Friday. It is Friday. As we get into the Memorial Day weekend, most people have off Monday. I would hope you do. In remembrance of those fallen. But welcome in, May 26, 2023 edition of the Gabe Coon Show. I am Gabe Coon, former Memphis Tiger offensive lineman on Twitter, at G underscore Coon 71. I'm alongside the executive producer of the Gabe Coon Show. That would be Connor Dunning on Twitter, at CDunning929. Connor, what we got? What's on tap for Memorial Day weekend? Probably chilling. seeing movies. Yeah, chilling, seeing yeah. movies, hanging out with some friends. I know uh, we might go try to see a Levitt Shell show. Okay. Who, who's, who's, who's playing at the Levitt I show? I don't know if they are this weekend. It may have been – actually might be wrong. It might be two weeks from now that we're doing that. Yeah, I was going to say. I don't know. We're doing something. We're getting out. We're hanging out in the city. <laughs> is this is this your wife telling you plans and you well, you, you forget and then you have to try to a remember? Little bit, a little bit. Today's the one-year anniversary of us buying our house, so we're going to celebrate that. Rock okay, on. Dinner and maybe a movie. We're deciding between three movies right now. And by we deciding, she's deciding. You should be the one decide. I mean, well, is, she, is she as much of a movie buff as you? No, but she okay. but she uh, indulges me and she allows me to pick from the movies most of the time. So she sits through like you know the prestige one. So we might be checking out the Little Mermaid tonight. So <laughs> sometimes you have to trade. I am golfing tomorrow. Nice. I'll be out at Memphis National. If you see me out there, say hello. Um, then I'm going to be getting base burns and sitting by uh, sitting by the pool or the lakeside the the entire rest of the weekend. Should be fun. Burgers, yeah. dogs, a lot of rest. Lee Greenwood, Dan Barron got to start with some good burgers this afternoon. I mean, I have to start with a good base burn though. Like I can't. I, it's it's just not. It's brother. I'm Scott. I'm Scott Irish. I can't do it. I burn so bad. It. The sun and I do not get along well. I hate the summer. <laughs> I hate it. I I shouldn't burn. My mom's side of the family makes me burn. That's what it is. Because my 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 dad's side they have they have. Um, a darker complexion, Latvian, like way back in the day, obviously. But my mom's side, that's the Irish side where it gets. I'm basically the palest things you can find and throw it in. Yeah, I start peeling. Doesn't get good. But I, you have to get a base burner. You're just going to die coming up in the summer. 
That's how it works. Now, we have three hours to talk on the way, courtesy of 92.9 FM ESPN. And yours truly. We'll get to the Eastern Conference Finals in a second, and I have one simple question to ask you. Hit hit us up, Dunning 929 and G underscore Kuhn71, that's K-U-H-N, on Twitter. Can the Celtics do this? Can they get this done? It's unbelievable to think about. They, they have come back. They've won two straight. They look good in those two games. Defensively, they locked in. And they're knocking down shots. I still, as much as I have, have downed Joe Missoula for getting down 0-3, I still have not gotten back on his bandwagon. Yeah, he's calling more timeouts, but at the same time, Connor, have you noticed he just sort of lets his team go? Like that, it's, it's trust and believe the process with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown woke up out of his slumber last night, and Derek White was fantastic. But he just lets his team cook, and if they – they knock down shots. Celtics will win ball games. We we know the stats. I think forty percent are over. They're nine and one in the playoffs. They're eight and one when they knock down fifteen or more threes. They are zero and six when they when they have uh, less than fifteen. So <laughs> it's become it's become really simple um, what what the formula is. And I don't think Joe Mazzulla is doing anything special still. But again, Celtics are coming back in the series. Also, throughout the show, I I must apologize to my uh, Memphis faithful. I will tell you, um, bottom of this hour, Tennessee and what they're doing with their athletic department, especially with that football program. We, we know how good they were last year. 11 wins. Everybody's back on board. But what they're doing, the ambition they have in the NIL space, is truthfully one of the best visions I've seen around the country. They have awoken that fan base. They have gotten people to absolutely positively latch on to their programs, and they're getting a lot of money. They're getting, I mean, I, I'll, I'll bring it up then, but Ramel Keaton and uh, uh, Joe Milton were in Times Square. They had a billboard up for themselves. They're trying to get Tennessee back, Tennessee football at least right now, trying to get them back on the national scale. They're trying to make it a national brand. And I think there's a lot of, of different universities different athletic departments that can truly learn from them. Spire Sports Group is their NIL, runs their NIL collective, the Vol Collective. It's been impressive as hell to see. I'll talk about that at the bottom of the hour. As far as guests are concerned, Jeff Calkins will join from the Jeff Calkins Show and Daily Memphian at 5 o'clock to Sean Reed, who just won a, a, the Therese Paler um, Award for Emerging Football Writers. Um, he will join at 6 o'clock. He works for the Athletic um, Covers NFL, covers the Raiders beat. Um, but we're going to have to congratulate him. Then we'll talk some NFL as we have a little bit of time to talk some NFL as we're in OTAs and everything else. The Blitz will be fun. Hop back into the Michael Block situation. I know I know. Uh, Jeffrey probably talked about it a little bit, Connor, but did you see his, his day one? Yes. At the Charles Schwab Challenge? I did. I did. <sighs> Here today and gone tomorrow, right? Like that's sort of <laughs> what we're looking at with Michael Block, but we'll talk about Michael Block. Uh, Derek Carr, it, it, John Gruden's in the building uh, with the Saints. Um, so I'll talk about that. Also, Lions wide receiver Jamison Williams, who's been suspended for gambling. Uh, he didn't gamble on the game. He just gambled uh, and, and, and locked in a bet, basically, on a sports app while he was at the Lions facility. He's been suspended six games. He doesn't have an excuse for it. He has just said he was not aware of that rule, which shouldn't be aware or should be aware, but... 
at the same time, I think the rule's a little arbitrary. I'll, I'll get to that once we get into the blitz. Then we'll get you out with the rewind around 6.50. But I, uh, Connor, I have no idea what to think. Besides, in the Eastern Conference Finals, of course, 3-2, Heat still. I have no idea what to think besides the Heat are in danger now. I, I saw the Celtics win on the road in Game 4. I have no reason to believe they cannot do it again. And right now, like just sort of looking at the numbers, nothing really correlates. Uh, the, the, the Heat are still favored at most sports books to win the series because they are up right now and they have a home game. But ESPN Analytics has the Celtics with a 59% chance to win the series. And if you look at FanDuel odds to win the NBA Finals, Nuggets minus 185, I think that's overly fair. But then Celtics plus 300, Heat after that, plus 500. This, is, this has been a series where I, I, you try to take the pulse. You, tr- you try to understand what's going on. And the Heat got up to that 3-0 lead, uh, some close games, some they ran away with. Um, but the Celtics are surging at a good time. And, and it's not a surprise what they've done the last two games. They've made shots. They've made shots. It's that damn simple. Whether Jalen Brown shows up or not, and he did last night, 21-2-2. I called for that. He only had one turnover, which is I, it's a godsend. But I, I, I still don't have the full pulse of this. And if the Celtics can pull this off, teams that have been down in the playoffs in NBA playoff history are 0-150 when they're down 0-3. And this really feels like a true opportunity for this to be one in 150. Yeah, I think the Celtics are very much alive now. Um, to your point, I think one of the big things that happened for them last night was Jalen Brown was composed. He played calm. He wasn't trying to dribble. He wasn't trying to make too much happen. They really let Jason Tatum kind of run the offense because I also thought an interesting thing that came out of last night's game was that Malcolm Brogdon's clearly hurt. Yeah. Something's going on with well, him. Well, he, he, they, they, they've said he's got like an arm yeah, issue, shoulder, it, it elbow, really whatever it was. really felt like it was affecting him last night. I mean, he only played eight minutes, and that rotation shortened, so in a weird way it may have actually helped out the Celtics a little bit. But again, you know, we say it a lot that basketball is ultimately a simple sport at the end of the day. And mm. could this series be as simple as which team's going to make 15 threes? Yeah. Like, is that? But the Heat are not an offensively inclined team. The Celtics clearly are. Like, I, the Heat have, have just sort of ran right at you this entire playoff run, and they have tried to get second-chance opportunities. Um, they, they just worked their ass off. And, like, I, the Celtics, again, the numbers are, are very stark. The contract, 15 plus threes, they're 8-1. and one. If they shoot over 40% from three, they're nine and one. I, I know Jeffrey mentioned that as a dust stat. It really is a dust stat. But like, I I don't know. Like, the Heat from an offensive standpoint, you can't expect them to to have that type of output from the three point line. I just feel like you cannot. I I, I mean, I, well, at the same time though, is is Marcus Martin, Derek Wright going to hit ten threes between the two of them? You know, that's that's where it's. You could say that. You could absolutely say that about the Heat. You can mm-hmm. also say it about the Celtics. Yeah, it's been so flip floppy throughout this playoffs, and that's why. You know, I think the Celtics are alive. I just don't know if I trust the Celtics, though. Yeah, yeah there's been inconsistencies. I yeah. understand that. But it, it, right now, the Heat are getting careless, for sure. Like, they're, they're turning the ball over at a, at a big rate. And what, what I said yesterday, too, uh, Jalen Brown, you talked about him locking in on the defensive end, being more composed. Obviously, the shots are falling. But I mentioned the Celtics defensively, they have the ability, one through seven, to really get it going. And, and, right. And they did. And... 
people will talk about the points off turnovers. Um, Celtics, the last two games, have had 27 points off turnovers. Last night, it was 16 turnovers on the Heat's end. But a majority of those, it's really the Celtics being completely locked in with their backs against the wall, playing hard. They had 13 steals. So most of them were forced by the Celtics. And as the series transitions uh, to the Celtics having momentum, if they can keep this defensive intensity up, I, I really like their chances to be the first team ever to come back from 3 uh, But it, it's hard to it, – here's the thing with this series too. It's hard for me to hold the Heat fully accountable if they give up this lead because – I think ultimately going into this series, isn't this how it was supposed to be? Like these last two games, this is what you expected the Celtics to be able to do and be able to take advantage of playing the Heat. It's why everybody chose the Celtics going into this series. I mean, <clears throat> they're by far the more talented team. They just are. There's no real argument to make for the Heat being the more talented team in this series. On paper, there's no way that this Celtics team should have ever been down 3-0, and that's why Joe Mazzulla came under such fire because – when you look at the talent disparity and you look at the players and you it's look massive. at everything, it the only thing you could point to was the coaching. And I think that was a huge factor in it. Yes, he can't go out there and make shots, but at the same time, when you talk about how you didn't have your team ready for an Eastern Conference Finals game, you're going to catch heat for that, and you deserve to catch heat for that. You just do. And last night, I saw from him minor adjustments. He shortened the rotation. Called timeouts like when he needed to. Called ti- he actually called timeouts. Right. It also seemed like they figured out something with the Heat's zone. Yeah, The whole series, they have not known what the hell to do on the offensive end. It has been as if they had never seen a zone before, and they didn't know it was invented until they made it to the Eastern <laughs> Conference Finals. So They figured it out last night, though, and I really do think that it was that they were allowing Jason Tatum to run that offense, and he wasn't relying on threes. The rest of the team was kind of relying on threes, but they were getting to their spots. They weren't being forced. They weren't just shooting three-pointers. They were attacking the paint, they were attacking the mid-range, and they were shooting threes. They were keeping the heat on their toes, and they were keeping them in motion the whole time, too. It was a really good game plan from the Celtics last night, which is why I, I was encouraged to see it, because they've mm-hmm. been so frustrating to watch. We've been calling them yep. the best procrastinating team, because they should be winning this. They should win the series. But it's like, can they come back they for 3-0? Take, I don't know. They it's had like, to take like a, a, a three-piece to the face before they decided to respond in this series. Right. It's, it's, it's ridiculous, and we've talked about them. They need to get hit in the mouth consistently to respond. Let me ask you this, though. As we talk about the NBA Finals and intrigue, who do you want to see? Who do you want to see against the Nuggets in the NBA Finals? Like, obviously, I am a guy who takes things in stride. I'll give my take real quick. I, I, I take things in stride. No matter who plays them, I, I'm going to watch. I'm going to talk about the games. I'm going to have fun with it. I want to see the Celtics play that game for or play the Nuggets for, for intrigue purposes because I think those are very talented teams that at their best play together really well, and the Heat are just not an overly talented team. We have all undrafted guys that, that were basically rejects from other places. But I think – when we talk about the Eastern Conference Finals and the way it's gone, I'm not rooting for the Celtics to be No, that's kind of where I like, was that's at. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, I want the Celtics for the matchup purposes, but I don't want the Celtics to beat the Heat, considering right. what, considering how this has gone. I, you know, I picked the Celtics. I, I, I've been a huge fan of the Celtics team all season. They've been frustrating the hell out of me in the playoffs. 
I'm not really rooting for either of these teams really in the finals because I want the Nuggets to win. You know, I think that they've been the best team all year. They got the best guy. I think they deserve it. You know, it'd be a great story for the Nuggets to win. So if you ask me in that sense, I'm rooting for the Heat to advance because I want the Nuggets to win the finals. But matchup-wise and for the entertainment purposes of the finals, you want the Celtics to win because I truly think that if the Miami makes it to the next to the finals, it's, they're going to get blown yeah, out. Yeah. They'll get blown out. And um, Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. I don't want that to happen. So I guess by default, I'm, I want the Celtics to advance for entertainment purposes, but I still want the Nuggets to win. So it's, Jeffrey put it perfectly, this series has put my brain into a press. Yes, for sure. 100%. Hundred <laughs> percent. It's been the weirdest. Like leaning either way, series. like you, you try to figure out who is going to have the advantage, and obviously a three zero advantage for the Heat. You think, okay, they could close it. I just win one of the next four, right? right. You figure it out. But uh, the Celtics are rolling right now. I, I, we'll see what happens. I, I, obviously at home, I think the Heat. There's an advantage there. They've been okay at home, um, but the Celtics in Game Four handle business. Handle business. How I, how nuts is it that the Taking out Vincent had this much of an impact on the game because Kyle Lowry was rough last night, and it seems he's like not, that he is at that, that point in his career where he really cannot just give you consistent minutes. He gives you spurts. Yeah, and that ankle is not good. Yeah, no. And I think it hurt Bam last night a lot because Bam kept trying to like get his own shot off, and that's not how he operates. He needs somebody to set him up, and I think that's why he had six turnovers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now I, I want to pose a question. I want to pose a question. Oh gosh. And it's completely hypothetical. This is going to relate to the Grizzlies here in a second. Oh, I understand it is way harder in real life than in theory. Like, it's easier said than done. But he's going to be, and this is a Celtics player, he's going to be a restricted free agent. I think the Celtics value him for obvious reasons. He's tough. He plays within himself. Really a pretty good defender, really good defender in a lot of ways. He brings some edge. But what do you think about Grant Williams in a Grizzlies uniform? Like, I, I watch him, and I see what he can provide. And I, I'm not saying this can – it's going to be re- – to make that happen, it would be really hard. I think the Celtics are going to try to keep him around. And, I, I mean, that, that, that contract, he's, he's playing himself into a pretty substantial contract. What do you think, $12 million a year, so 10 to $12 million a year? 
But what do you think about that? Like, I get the challenges with adding him, but I'm strictly talking fit. I personally watch him play, and even last night he was one for four. Um, he ended up having six points, but on the defensive end, he's great. He can give you extended minutes. He's an experienced player. He brings some edge. I love it. I, I think if the Grizzlies would have tried to take advantage of this when he came out, I think he's a per- literally a perfect fit. A young vet, 40% from three. Uh, even in the playoffs, the moment hasn't been too big for him. He, I, I, people could talk about the Jimmy Butler run-in all they want, but he was the only one on that Celtics team that night showing edge. But I, 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 I like I like Grant Williams and what he, what he can provide. And, and obviously this goes beyond the Grizzlies. I think there's 30 teams in the NBA that could use a guy like Grant Williams off the bench. But in a Grizzlies uniform, that, that's an interesting thought. Tennessee guy, I went to Tennessee. I mean, it, I think, I think that, that makes sense. Now the money and everything um, would have to work out. I, I, I don't know if it would ultimately, but – what do you think about what do you think about Grant Williams in a, in a Grizzlies uniform? I floated it to a, a couple friends of mine myself. You know, watching him play, I don't think it's it's going to happen, but right, I, I wouldn't dislike it if it did. It's I think he would be good insurance for your depth. Is what like he's not. I'm and, assuming and, and you're and not speaking him, of him paying him ten million dollars to be a, right. a certified bench piece with what you're going to have to do paying the the current roster you have. Bain's coming up on a. On a deal, Jaron's already paid, Jaws already paid. Like the the money may not wouldn't work out necessarily, but I, I'm just talking strictly fit. And it, would you like to see him in a Grizzlies uniform? Yeah, I mean he shoots you know pretty much forty percent from three. He's a plus defender. He's scrappy. He gives a damn, which matters. He's a pretty good locker room guy. He's a bit of a dork, which you know I, I think that the Grizzlies could use a bit of that. And yeah, why not? I guess it's it's why not. Yeah. It's, I, and I understand he's a little smaller for his position, but at the same time, the dude's a gamer, and he goes out there and he affects winning basketball. And I've always been, if a guy affects winning basketball, put him in. And this series is kind of a microcosm of that. He wasn't playing, and all of a sudden he got inserted. He had the thing with Jimmy. But you can make the argument that that moment changed the whole series for the Celtics. He is the perfect example, though, like just thinking big picture with what Zach Kleiman has brought in through the draft, undrafted free agents, whatever it is. He's the perfect example of that type of guy. You're not worried about the measurables. People told him he was too small, too short, too he didn't have a long enough wingspan. They didn't know who he'd be able to defend. His athleticism was a, was a negative. But we've seen the Grizzlies go after guys like that. Desmond Bain was a guy like that. Um, I, I, I just look at him and, and the culture he tends to bring, the, the intensity he brings, it's, it's pretty cool. Now, um, he knows his role. Yes, no question. And, like, if he's not making shots, he doesn't shoot them. You know what I mean? Like, and if he gets left open at the three-point line, he's a knockdown guy. Like, he really, he really can shoot at this point. And he had to build that because at Tennessee, he didn't do a whole lot of that. Um, now, last night before the game, the Joe Mazzulla quote that's making its rounds from Mark D'Amico, who I think is the 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 PA announcer for the Celtics. Did you see this? I did after you sent it to me. Holy mother of pearl. Joe Mazzulla says that since Game 4, he met with three young girls under the age of 21 who have terminal cancer. He said speaking with them, and he, he said he was speaking with them. He's helped him. Um, he, he hopes it helped them as well. But the quote here, watching a girl dying and smiling and enjoying her life, that's what it's really all about. <laughs> this dude has a way with words, doesn't he? Good Lord. He's blunt. He's to the point. I got to give him that, but is it, it's insane. It's an insane quote. <laughs> That's a wild quote. Watching a girl dying 
It really brings the best out of me. Good God, Joe Missoula. That's why there's a running joke. <laughs> within Celtics Twitter right now that they have to find more dying people to oh send to Joe Mazzulla. Oh and it's like, God. and that's ultimately where I'm like, even if they win this series, man, I don't know. Like, I just <laughs> I just don't know I with still, this guy. I still, I still kind of view him as a substitute teacher. It, he that's feels, what it feels like. It feels very performative with a lot of the stuff that he does. And <laughs> then when you watch the games, he hasn't, he, he, he's improved the last two games. Absolutely deserves credit for that. But they still feel so behind the eight ball. And he feels like he's flying by the seat of his pants constantly. It is confirmed mm-hmm. that he was not calling timeouts because he did not have plays ready. That just can't happen in the Eastern Conference Finals. And even if they win this series, I don't think it's because of him, is what I'll say. If they win this series, it's because the talent eventually overwhelmed everything else. Watching a girl dying and smiling and enjoying her life, that's what it's really all about. And enjoying her life. That's what it's really all about. What life is really all about. Good God, man. And I, I, I listen, I, I still, the substitute teacher thing I think fits perfectly for him. Like the Ime Udoka uh, situation with how much those guys latched on to him. He, he was sort of the, the last option that the Celtics had on, on short notice. I, I think he's been fine this year. You don't play as well as you did during the regular season if the coach is just miserable. But you still get that vibe with them, and you sort of wonder. Um, I, I think I, I think these two wins ultimately will save his job. But like going into next year, if they fall flat on their face again, you, I think the, the leash is substantially shorter. I, that, I think that's insane right. quote. Because I, I do think he deserves credit for you know he took over this team that went to the finals, and he had them in the top three offense, top three defense, coach of the year consideration. You know he was he was solid in the regular season. Coaches are made in the playoffs. We, I mean, we saw it this playoffs. How many coaches got fired because they didn't get it done? You know, so the Celtics just have to decide: Do we think that this guy moving forward can get it done in the playoffs? Because it's not about the regular season. We've we have seen yeah. that coaching hirings and firings have nothing to do with the regular season anymore. It is about if you get it done in the playoffs. I think Mazzola has the stuff to be a good coach one day. I really do. I'm just a little afraid that he got given the keys a little bit too early before he was ready. But you could also make the argument that he's taking his lumps now and he's going to improve. I mean, we nope. we've seen him improve in this series. So can he continue coaching? Yes, too. But like I, another guy in that Celtics sphere that I view as, I don't really know. Like during the regular season, he's going to be an MVP candidate. He's going to put up some mm. things. But what is going to happen in the playoffs? Jason Tatum sort of fits that mold for me as well because he has these lulls. The lulls, I, you try to ignore him like when he's 22, 23 years old. When he's in the Eastern Conference Finals his rookie year, you ignore some of the lulls he has. And he's been good the past two games. But the lull, I mean, he didn't hit a fourth quarter shot. A fourth quarter, he didn't have a made field goal in the fourth quarter till the till game four. Like the lulls are hard for me to ignore at this point once he gets into the playoffs in that type of situation with Jason Tatum in particular. Yeah, those this team as a core is almost a little bit they're victims of their own early success a little bit because you think, oh man, well they've been in this forever, but then you look at their ages and you're like, oh well they're not even really to the window, quote unquote, yet. They still have time. And that's one reason why I think you and I both are saying there's no reason to break up these two guys. Like yeah, keep no. them for sure. They're gonna continue winning basketball, but it is a little concerning when Jason Tatum just wasn't shooting in the fourth quarter. He can't do that. He has to play like he has the, the last two games, taking charge of the game immediately. And That's what I liked what? about last night. They didn't wait on the heat to like That's do something. The they the, were like, we're going to punch you in the mouth. What, what I, I, I have called in the past, like, 
if you just look at the stats, Jason Tatum almost plays like a 6'8 Donovan Mitchell. Like he, he just right. lives at the three-point line, takes a bunch of jumpers. Last night early in that game, you saw him take it to the rack. That's what he can, he can do that. But he, he just falls into this trap of trying to take a bunch of perimeter shots. And that's not – I mean, he, he, he would serve himself a whole lot better and be a lot more consistent in the playoffs, even I mean, in the regular season as well, if he just decided to be more aggressive in trying to get people off the bounce and get to the rim. It seems like to me his sweet spot for threes is like six to eight. Like if yeah. he takes like six to eight, that, you know, that's, he averaged nine. He was up that, around nine or ten a game this. That's year. what I mean, and it's just I don't think that's where his game needs to go. I think he plays best when he has a true combination of mid range and three point shooting because he's a really good mid range guy. He gets there and he makes these moves and he he really can get his his own shot off and just taking threes over and over and over again isn't going to create anything. And eventually the, the Heat are just going to be like, okay, we know what you're doing, so we're just going to prepare for that. And that's why last night they switched it up, and the Heat were kind of on their back heels a little bit. And what I've noticed, too, about like Celtics fandom and, and people within the realm and, and, and they the talk about this team all year, they, they tend to blame the style of play that Jason Tatum has sort of fallen into this year and even in the playoffs with taking so many perimeter shots. They've blamed it on Joe Mazzulla, and I don't know if – we blame a lot of things on Joe Mazzulla. We've been hard on Joe Mazzulla, but I don't think that's that's even remotely fair. Jason Tatum's an MVP candidate. He gets the ball. He gets the action. Uh, they, they entrust him to, to run offense. He can go make it happen for himself. I get tired of those excuses for him, but he is 24 years old. He's added to his bag every single offseason, so we'll see where it goes for him. But I, the style of play and the lulls he has, I mean, it, it's hard to it's hard to – not pay attention to, if you will. So, what have you thought of Jimmy's play the last two games? Not great, not great. I mean, but it, it, that Heat team has just been careless with the ball. Uh, the Celtics have turned up the defensive intensity, and they they're just. Let's be honest about the Heat. They're just not a good offensive team. They weren't during the regular season. They were playing over their head the first three games of this series, for sure. So, uh, I, I I can't put it all on Jimmy. I just think it's I think it's. The, the, the talent disparity catching up to them when that, when that uh, Celtics talent starts to play hard and with the same intensity and the same vigor that the, the uh, Heat have had this whole time. It feels like game six is a must win for them. It, hell yeah. You don't want tra- to go back to you don't want to go back to the garden. Hell no. But doesn't this also end in a Boston losing game seven at home? <laughs> like, doesn't, yeah. it, doesn't it also hey, feel yeah. like that's where this is headed? 0-150 is hard to ignore. Man. It really is, isn't it? It <laughs> would be pretty wild. Just t- it tells a story unto itself. It would be nuts if Boston got another comeback like this. It really would. Now, Tennessee, the athletic department, um, there's a story to be told here. Uh, what they've done in revamping their athletic department since Danny White and Josh Heupel have, have been a part. Um, uh, revamping that football program is fantastic. But what they've done in the new era of college sports and raising money and, and getting name, image, and likeness money across the board has been a sight to see. And, and I'll give you the details on the other side, but I think there's a lot of schools that can learn from what Tennessee is doing right now in the NIL market. Be right back. Gabe Coon Show, 92.9 FM ESPN. Guests appear on the Smile Center Hotline. Now back to the Gabe Coon Show, live from the Service Master by Cornerstone Studios on 92.9 FM ESPN. Is there a point to 
Nothing like NIL talk. Welcome back into the Gabe Coon Show, 929 FM ESPN. Before I get to the NIL talk, I saw this yesterday, and I, you probably saw it as well. Mackenzie Milton is joining the Josh, Josh Heupel staff at Tennessee as an offensive analyst. So they're going to pay him real money instead of being a GA. But Mackenzie Milton, man, I, who was it? I told Joey Gatewood to get a job. Mackenzie Milton got him a job. But I, I, he was so good. He was a great competitor when he was at UCF and we were playing him all those years. The, the leg injury he had against USF, my God, man. I can't erase that from my memory. No, it's like I'll never forget Terrifying. Marcus Lattimore's. Yeah. It, it's same. Willis McGahee. It's too, same like, realm for me, yeah. Oh, you just saw it. I'm not going to get into it, but it was. I oh. could. I, so, oh, God, Made me yeah. sick to my stomach to see that from Mackenzie Milton. And he was, I mean, we're talking dang near Heisman candidate considering what he was able to do. I mean, he the talent he had running the ball, um, what he did within Josh Heupel's offense, just pushing it downfield, and even before that with Scott Frost, it was, it was beautiful. It was a sight to behold. But I was glad to see that because I, I do appreciate in this day and age coaches bringing back former players uh, that, they've, that they've grown close to, that they trust. I, like Josh Heupel's actually done it. I think there's something very valuable about it. Uh, a good buddy of mine, Alec Ablin, used to uh, – he was at Mizzou with Josh Heupel. He's their tight ends coach now, but he's our age, and, and Josh Heupel has entrusted him with a full position coach job. And he, I used to train with him in, in St. Louis. He went off to Mizzou. He was a center, and he ended up playing sort of uh, pseudo fullback for them for a while. But he brought in Alec Ablin, McKenzie Milton now. That's well done. Um, but I, I, <laughs> that's not what I came here to talk about today. It's not exactly what has come to my mind when discussing this Tennessee football program, and I, I would say Tennessee athletic department as a whole. And now I, I have to preface this. My Memphis folks, I love y'all. I really do. And I know the sports hate, and maybe even the real hate, between these two fan bases. I, like, I understand that. But I'm going to give props, very specific props, so stay with me. Despite my fandom, despite my doubts about the hype hire in the beginning, I didn't think he did a great job at UCF following Scott Frost, but it was kind of hard to go from undefeated um, and, and take over and, and, and try to build something new. Uh, he still did a good job. Eight, nine wins a year there for UCF. Uh, kept them at the top of the AAC. He did a good job. But I had my doubts about the hire in general and that offense, how spread out it is going into the SEC. But we saw last year what, was, what, what he could accomplish. Uh, spreading it out. I mean, Alabama, uh, Nick Saban, who is the DB king, uh, defensive back king. And you could argue, obviously, LSU and Alabama DBU, but um, they couldn't keep up with, with what was happening in front of them. And they got burned consistently by that scheme. But I think what I'm here to say, I believe in that program, and it's weird to hear out of my mouth. I, I get that. I know. But when you look at the relationships that have been built, and you see the guys behind the scenes, Alec Ablin is a guy, uh, Mackenzie Milton's a guy, he's got a good staff, the recruiting – and Nico Iamlevea, five-star, one of the best quarterbacks in the country, is now on campus. Um, the offense, of course, is great. And they didn't really have that before. I feel like they were trying to, you know, they were trying for a while to just recreate what they had in the 90s, and that's not really what, what, what needs to be done in this day and age. But dark days. Even more than that, the NIL money is all there. Um, now, Ultimately, I want to see a recreation of last year. But I get the sense this whole time this program's been a sleeping giant. 
And they, they had latched on to old ways, the Philip Fulmer ways. They've tried, you know, they tried to go SEC. They tried to keep guys in the footprint, and it didn't necessarily work. We know all the, the Jeremy Pruitts and, you know, the, the trying to find guys outside of that. The, the fan base was super involved with coaching hires, and it didn't work out that way. But Danny White and Josh Heupel have changed that. Not only have they accepted the new age of NIL and everything else, they've reveled in it. And I think the fan base is super awakened, and more importantly, their monetary support is awakened. I don't know if you saw this earlier this week, Connor, but Joe Milton and Ramel Keaton were with Spire Sports Group in Times Square, and they were featured on a billboard. In Times Square, you have Tennessee football, Knoxville, Tennessee, in Times Square, billboard up at Joe Milton and Ramel Keaton. And now Spire Sports, for those that don't know, runs the Vol Collective. It runs their NIL collective. They are very clearly understanding of the business side of what needs to be done, and they have a vision. And most importantly, they're uh, ambitious. On three, uh, did a ranking of most ambitious NIL collectives. They were there at the top. Their president, Hunter Bedore, this is how ambitious they are. He said in February that they are aiming to generate at least $25 million annually running through that NIL collective. So far to date, and we're outside of football season, I think football really pushes everything over the, over the top for them because you have a lot of football support. Obviously, basketball is great too, but football moves the needle even more. They've raised $7.5 million to date. I mean, that's, that's good stuff. There's a concerted effort behind the scenes from that athletic department to turn Tennessee football and Tennessee athletics back into a national brand, and you really see it. There's a seriousness. There's a hunger. And granted, like, they have seen return on investment. We've been talking about return on investment with Memphis, with other, other um, schools around the country. Uh, they've seen it. Like, they were 11-2 and two in football. They made a sweet 16 run in basketball. I get all that. But here's a message I want to put out. And, and people will think, Considering everything, that uh, recent discussion about what Memphis may or may not have in NIL, people are going to think I'm talking directly to Memphis. I'm not. It's a piece of advice for a lot of schools, from Ohio State to Ole Miss to Louisiana Monroe, for God's sake. Like, that's why I'm talking to everybody. Ohio State has their issues. They're not latching on to the new age of college football, and they're struggling on the recruiting trail because of it. They're struggling in the transfer portal because of it. But... This right here, what we're seeing from the Vol Collective, Inspire Sports, is the new template for being competitive. It is. You don't have to measure yourself for the top of the market. If you're Memphis, you don't have to measure yourself to Tennessee. You don't have to measure yourself to Alabama or Georgia. No. But because I think ultimately, you know, Coastal Carolina can't be Tennessee or Alabama. It's just not, not going to happen. The monetary support may not be there. But we've gotten to a point in college sports where if you can give, if you can afford to help facilitate an NIL collective, if you can facilitate NIL opportunities, and you care about being relevant in sports, you have to. You have to make that effort. You have to put forward money, and you have to do that to make sure that your programs, whether it's you know, basketball and football at the top, they have to stay relevant. It doesn't automatically win you ball games and national championships. I get that, right? Like, uh, people talk about return on investment and wanting to be in a Final Four, and, you know, if you don't make a Final Four, we, uh, we don't really see that. We don't really see what you're, what you're able to do. If you, don't, if you don't do as well on the recruiting trail, people say they don't see the return on investment. But 
Again, it doesn't automatically win you ball games and national championships, but the return on investment ultimately is it saves you from irrelevance in this day and age. That's where we're at. It saves you from being irrelevant in the, in the, in the sports realm. If you're not putting up the money, like Memphis, for example, should compare themselves in the conference to SMU. SMU on the football field, I think for all scholarship athletes, paid about 30 grand, 35 grand per year. I know that it's harder, it's easier said than done to go make that happen, but you have to make it happen or irrelevance tends to come. And I think Memphis is doing everything they can to push, push it across the finish line. They're, they're trying new things. They're trying to, to get more money involved. Uh, there's more collectives out there. There's a lot more people giving effort. But ultimately, it's that simple. The return on investment, shouldn't, you shouldn't think national championship. I mean, maybe you could. You could think about winning a, a, a uh, AAC championship, a SEC championship. Like, yeah, you, you can think those things. But ultimately, you need to save yourself from irrelevance. And if you care about your universities and their sports programs, it's a damn necessity. And I get, like, where we're at in college sports, like, for a lot of people, old school folks who, who really do give the money, guys that, are, that, that have been around the game, that have, have given to their universities for a while, it can be troubling. You're like, do I give it to the school? Do I give my, my donations to the school or the NIL collective? Like, you have to pick now, and it's a troubling situation. And it's different. But at this point, there isn't a choice. If you want to be relevant, you have to put the money through an NIL collective for talent. And I think Tennessee has set a bar for a lot of people around the country and how you get it up and going fast. You have to have hunger. You have to have ambition. Yeah, it's really felt like since White got in there that they have been promoting the teams in a different way. And, you know, I was there during the Butch era. (laughs) And um, it was rough, man. It was rough. Uh, I actually worked in the alumni office, Uh and I was one of the people that, you know, called people for donations and things like that. I'm just going to tell you right now, most people weren't giving money because the football team sucked. Yeah. So the football team just being decent will, will motivate that fan base, will motivate the, those alums to give money. And I think the biggest thing that White did that was bothering the fan base and a lot of alum there were the athletic department was pretending that all of the bad years that they were having was a fluke. And it was like, it's been a long time since this thing was running correctly. And they kept being like, but we're going to fix it. We're going to fix right. it now. We got proof. We're going to fix it now. When White came in, he was basically like, everything they've done the past decade was wrong. Right. We're going to restart it now. And I think that was so important because it was Good able relationships to create... too brings in Josh right. Heupel, who he knows. Right. But you could trust him because you were like, he's not, he's not pretending like it hasn't been a disaster the last decade because it was. Now, let me, let me do a little chicken and the egg conversation here. Because okay. you say, okay, once you're good, and I, I, I get this as human nature, if you're good and you're seeing your teams really succeed, more money flies through. Um, the alumni base is willing to give up more money. Donors are willing to give up more money. But in this day and age, it's almost, it feels like the opposite. It feels like you need to give more money to make sure you're relevant. You, you need to give more money to make sure you get to those heights. And, like, I, I, that's where I'm at at this point. Obviously, we may see changes here soon. There's an NIL bill nationally that could go through, and, and, and it could change, and there may be regulations and everything else. That's where we're at to me. Yeah. It's not wait till we're relevant and then I'll start throwing money. You have to throw money now to make sure you're relevant. No, no, I, I agree with that. What I was what what I was trying to say is that White 
gave them a reason to start giving money again right. because you could trust that he was going to try something different. The the product we didn't see on the field yet. This was Heupel's first year, right? We didn't know if it was going to work out, but we trusted that at least they're not going to try to do the same damn thing they've been doing over and over and over again. At least let's, you know, if we give money now, it's going to be in a way, we're going to actually see it be used in a way that we can trust. It was just, he brought excitement back. Yep. You know, he wasn't doing the old, we're Tennessee, it's going to work, because it was a sleeping giant. Like, I know people don't want to hear that around here, but Tennessee's a sleeping giant. They have been historically one of the best football teams in this country. It was a matter of time until they woke up again, and I hope it continues because I'm a fan, of course, but it, I'm telling you, it was such a disaster for 10 years there about, like, going from, oh, my God, dude, it was just Well, it was but, like, rough. athletic directors now, no too, like, what, what Danny White's done, too, and I, I, I give him a lot of props for moving into this era very quickly of NIL and, and trying to raise that money, even through, like, all the Jeremy Pruitt stuff and the, the, the things that could have happened to Tennessee through that process. Um, ADs now... They, of course, they've always been fundraisers, but since everything's above board, they are fundraisers on steroids. That's 100%. all. That's what they're there for. They're they're hype men, and they have to talk to donors and just every single day put it in their ear. We need this money right now so we can field good teams, so we can get the talent that is necessary for you guys to see winning. Exactly, and that's what they have to be. They have to be strictly, almost at this point, fundraisers. And you have to, obviously, I think oversight's a big thing. I've talked about it with Alabama and Michigan. You need, to, you need to have some oversight. You need to uh, sort of keep clean. But athletic directors are just, I mean, they're high-paid fundraising agents. That's what they do. Absolutely. And it also helps when you know what the money's going to be used for. At least you have an idea of it. Here's an example. When, when Pruitt was there, I remember I was at one of his opening pressers. He, they did the caravan, so I, I was right. able to interview him here. I was able to ask him a couple of questions. And I was asking him about the renovations that were happening to the football field and everything, and he just did not care about it. He was like, I'm not involved. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. And now, it, it, so they were trying to do all this fundraising, and he wasn't hyping up the new stadium. He wasn't hyping you up have that they were going to – do all of these things. When White came in and Hypo came in, they were like, we're going to use that money and we're going to make Tennessee football an event again. Fireworks, you, you, new Jumbotron, all that stuff matters. It gets people in those seats. It gets people excited about your program again. To your point, you have to advertise everything. You have now. to sell the program. Yes. What, one thing. Like Fulmer and Pruitt were bored. They just they didn't sell the program like they should. University of Memphis, right? For the football program. After Fuente left, I think there were some people sort of wondering, okay, we're getting this OC from Arizona State, like unproven, hadn't been a head coach, he's super young. I think some people had some um, hopes about what it would be with Mike Norvell. But one thing I have to give him a whole lot of credit for through that entire process, not just getting to the Cotton Bowl and winning you know, 11, 10, 10, 11 games every single year, right? Eight, eight games in a bad year and still making it to the, to the damn AAC championship. One thing I have to give him credit for, he was a salesman, and he still is at Florida State. What he's doing right now, obviously with recruiting and everything else, but Florida State's starting to get up off the mat. When you have, I mean, obviously the, the, the AD is the premier salesman, but your coaches have to follow in line, and that's one thing I will always give uh, Mike credit for. He sold this program in a massive way, and I think ultimately that's why you saw the success and the heights that it reached, and you saw more uh, the the facility comes in. You see better recruits, three stars, four stars. You bring guys in because he is actively selling the program to everybody, getting more money in it. You have to go about it that way. 
You cannot be uh, strictly a and, and you can't be strictly a football coach. I even see Nick Nick Saban did it last year, right? He's talking in front of uh, the the touchdown club of Birmingham, or he was in a, a it was a Texas coaches meeting, and he's talking about NIL money that that Bryce Young is is getting, and he's actively discussing it. Like you have to go about it that way and let people know intentions and and, and try to sell your program in a massive way and. You know, Nick Saban is old school, but I think he's moldable. But I, I Mike Norvell, though, I, I give a whole lot of credit for what he did in selling this particular program when he was on campus. And I think that's why you saw uh, a fair amount of sustained success and, and the ability to recruit and the ability to fundraise and the ability to get people out to the, to the games. When people see the vision and they feel part of it, it gives them incentive to donate, incentive yep. to give to NIL when they feel as if they are a part of it. That is so important. And being vocal about what's going on and where you're trying to take the program matters. It just does. It's, yep. it's that simple. Yep. You have, you have to. Have to fundraise and you have to sell the program. And I think Tennessee is setting a heck of a bar. Now, again, if they, if they struggle next year and Joe Milton throws it into the fifth row of the stands and <laughs> misses Ramel Keaton by 15 yards and they're – a six-win team, you know, maybe money starts to slow down. But so far, considering what they've been able to accomplish with, with Spire Sports running the Vol Collective, man, they, they, have, they have set a bar that, that I think a lot of people need to latch on to. It's been impressive. It's been impressive. And I know it's hard to hear that out of my mouth, but it's the truth, man. It's the truth. Now Jeff Calkins will join on the other side. We'll go ahead and get to that after the, the break. 92.9 FM ESPN. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months.